You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. The first Sunday of Advent can be jarring. Many of us are conditioned by the cultural liturgy to be gearing up for Christmas by starting our Christmas shopping, decorating our homes, going out and setting up a Christmas tree, maybe enjoying a peppermint-flavored coffee beverage. (laughs) And I will confess that I have done all of those things this week. But if you came to church expecting a sort of sanctified version of that commercial liturgy, less peppermint perhaps, but more Jesus, and a reminder of where our hope truly lies, but the same generally jolly atmosphere, then I'm sure this morning came as a bit of a shock. It can be a little bit of a surprise to, to walk in. It can feel kind of like a, just such a difference to our system, a bit stunning to come in, and while we're kind of gearing up and getting ready for the holiday season, that the first thing that we do together is to enter into this long and kind of slow and sometimes it feels a bit drawn out, litany, as we present all of our requests to God in a way that we don't usually do. We, we spend more time in this petition to the Father. And then we have our scripture readings, which talk about the coming of the day of the Lord. And we wonder kind of, what is this a little bit? I was expecting us to be preparing for Christmas and for the birth of Jesus And aren't we supposed to be looking for with joy and with hope for that day why this talk of judgment and the day of the Lord and all of this focus on the end times? If we are going to properly anticipate Jesus' birth and what it meant, if we're going to properly celebrate the birth of Christ at Christmas, we also have to look forward to his second coming. His first coming doesn't make sense unless we have that second coming in view as well. And in both cases, if we are to properly appreciate the coming Savior, we need to understand how desperate our condition actually is. Waiting for Jesus is not like waiting for a birthday party, where it's a day that's kind of, you know, better than all the other days, and so we're excited for it, but we're just looking for the day where things get a little bit better. Waiting for Jesus is like being in desperate pain and waiting for the surgery that you know can make you well. It hurts sometimes to have to wait. And even as we look forward to that day of surgery, we do so knowing that there might be additional pain that we have to enter into before we can actually be well but we also desperately know that this is the only way for us to experience the fullness of life. The only way to get there is to go through this day where God carves out of our hearts the sin, where God judges and destroys the sin in the world. And this is why we enter into this first Sunday of Advent with this extended time in the Great Litany, where we raise up both the the sin in our hearts and we petition for the world as a whole, where we look at what is broken and we name it so that we can properly feel a sense of longing for the coming of a Savior who will set things right. It's why our readings focus on the second coming of Jesus, where he will come as king and as judge and as Savior. 
because it is only in looking to Him coming with power that we can enter into the proper longing for what it meant for Him to come for our salvation as a child. And it is, this is part of how we enter into the biblical call to endurance. The biblical call to endurance is not a form of stoicism where we just sort of deny our weakness and our suffering and sort of hold up under pain, sort of press it all down and just don't admit that things are hard, where we put on a front and a face and sort of have the the perfect Instagram family. The biblical call to endurance is actually to name those tender places in the presence of the Lord, to name the places where things hurt, to name the places where we are lacking and we have great need, and to trust Him to see us through. There are times where when we do that, when we come to God, that He will give us an inexplicable joy, that He will give us a peace that passes all understanding, and that is how we can make it to the next day. And there are times when we come and we bring our longing and our need before our Savior, when what He will give us is tears, cleansing tears that allow us to to name our need and come before God and say, I am so desperate for you. Sometimes he'll give you both at the same time. And here, as we come to God in Advent, we are ready to receive whatever he has. We're ready to receive the tears that we have as we cry over the sin in our own lives and we cry over the sin that remains in the world and we look and long for Jesus to set things right. And we are also looking forward to the hope and the joy that fills our hearts as we look for that day. And we hope not in the sense that we kind of wish that it will come true, but we trust that it will come true because we trust the Savior to whom we look. The good news is that regardless of our emotional response to suffering, is that the suffering itself does not fall outside of God's plan. He has not abandoned you. That is part of why the the verses at that beginning of that passage of Zechariah that talk about the nations coming and carrying off half of Jerusalem into exile, that talk about the rape of women, that present these horrifying terrors of war are actually so important. They're important because they remind us that this suffering that we endure is not outside God's plan. It is not something that happened where God didn't see it coming. And because he didn't see it coming, we're now taken uh, away from him, that we are cut off from him in the midst of our suffering. We need to know as we look to these verses of Scripture that God is allowing the suffering, but not forever. The suffering does not last forever. The suffering does not get the final word in our lives. The very worst moments of our lives, God is still there. The very worst parts of the world where we look and see Christians who are suffering in ways that we can barely imagine, God is still there. And in a very real way, that suffering of God's people, both in our own life and in the lives of others, is a sign 
that the day of the Lord is drawing nearer. Both our Old Testament reading and our Gospel reading give us this hope, that the suffering will not last forever, that God will come on behalf of His people. The Lord is coming. And because of this, our suffering can be transformed into a sign of hope. It is not pointless suffering that leads us into nihilism, that leads us to destruction. The suffering is a sign of hope. Look at our gospel reading for this morning. Luke chapter 21, verse 28, towards the the end of that reading. Jesus had just told his disciples about a day where there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. This comes right before the passage started. He said that they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. The language that Jesus used when he talks about this day of the Lord is actually very similar to the way that Zechariah talks about it. It's a day where these awful things are going to happen to God's people. But right in the midst of that reading that we had, there is this moment where he says, but when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. When we suffer, we do not do so where the suffering gets the final word. We do not suffer. Uh, the world does not suffer in a way that will suffer forever. These are like the pains of birth, and we know that God is drawing near. Similarly, in Zechariah, our Old Testament reading from today, just when things are the darkest, it says, The Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. Sometimes when we have these passages in view that are prophetically looking towards the end, we kind of get caught up in trying to figure out what the events are, which events are signs, how far away that is, whether it's going to happen in our own lifetime or whether it is going to be delayed yet further. But the focus in these passages is not really primarily on exactly the when things are going to happen. It's not even exactly on what things are going to happen, except for us to know that suffering will increase and it is not outside of God's plan. The focus on these passages and the focus that we have as we come into this season of Advent and give name and voice to our longing and our need for a Savior is on the who is coming. It is the Lord who is coming to save us, the Lord who is mighty. The Lord who is the King, the Lord who will judge and destroy all that is evil. And His coming shall be a day of judgment upon His enemies and a day of salvation for those who wait upon Him. Zechariah depicts this day of salvation that we long for and look for with vivid imagery, with a sense of poetic beauty. It's, It's... It's kind of like he shifts, and this happens so often in the scriptures, where it's a language that is more reminiscent of poetry than prose, because as you're walking through this, you have to have some way to express the beauty of the day that is coming. It's it's understanding this beauty is, is part of what gives us hope to be able to look for and long for that day. That's why we have this painting up here. Um, over the course of the Advent season, one of our own Joe McHugh, 
is putting some of the imagery from our Old Testament readings onto a canvas. And so up here, we, we have some of the things visible, a little bit of what's visible in our scripture from Zechariah, uh, a visual imagery of to try, sort of try to match some of that poetic beauty where we have over here, we can see the Mount of Olives split. We can see the people walking through the valley that has been, um, that has been left. We can see the seas roaring. We can see the, the living waters, and we see the king above it all. And in the spirit of anticipation through this season of Advent, we're not showing you the whole painting yet. So if you come back next week, you'll see a bit more of it. And eventually you'll get to see the whole thing. There are several sort of movements of images in our Old Testament reading that, that stand out. The first image is of God standing upon the Mount of Olives. And the mountain itself splits in two when he comes down and stands upon it. And in this image, we get a sense of the might of the Lord. That even something so solid as the mountains that we take for granted, that we look at in their solidity, cannot stand when God comes. When he stands upon his holy mountain, it splits in two. And it's always interesting here because we think of sometimes the day of the Lord as this last final battle. But in this passage, and this is true in Revelation as well when we look for the, the final days of the Lord, there's actually no battle that occurs when God comes. The enemies just don't really get mentioned again because when God comes, there is nothing that can stand against him. The mountains cannot stand against him. What chance do armies have? They array themselves for battle to come and, and attack God's people. But when God comes as our Savior, there is nothing that stands against Him. Nothing outside and nothing inside. There is no sin that stands against Him. There is no, there is no army that stands against Him. And in this image of the mountain splitting, in addition to showing the might and power of God, it also recalls the the salvation story of the people of Israel of the Exodus, where the sea split when God came down to save them, when God led them through the seas as they were fleeing from Egypt. Here the mountain itself splits, and they walk through the valley just in the same way that they walk through the seas. Their escape is sure, just as it was sure from Pharaoh. And we can trust in the Lord. We can look forward to the day of the Lord's coming in trust that nothing will stand against him. That all will be set right. This is the longing that we have as we enter into the season of Advent. We look for all to be made well. The day is coming because the King is coming and nothing can stand against Him. The second image in the book of Zechariah begins in verse 6. It says, on that day there shall, be, there shall not be either cold or frost, and there shall be continuous day, it is known to the Lord, not day and not night, for at evening time there shall be light. Here when God comes down, 
there is a fundamental reorientation of both time and nature. Everything comes around and changes around him. When God created the heavens and the earth in the book of Genesis, it says that he created the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. But when God comes as king to reign and be physically with us in our presence forever, then those rulers of day and night are not necessary because he is the ruler of day. He is the ruler of night. His light shall endure forever. His light shall be there always. It is a sign of his nearness and his enduring presence that we no longer need these lesser powers to give us light. Because God himself is our light. God himself is the one who gives us all we need, who leads us into the place of peace and to the place of restoration. The third image in the book of Zechariah starts in verse 8. It says, On that day living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And this is something where we actually have a chance in Colorado to understand this better than I could have understood it back when I lived in South Carolina. Um, the land of Israel was a semi-arid place. They had seasonal rains that would come and cause life to sprout up. And they counted upon those seasonal rains to bring them uh, life into the land. And here there's this image that when God comes, there's not seasonal rains. There's not time where life grows in abundance and then time where it fades away. Instead, we have the living waters, the flowing waters that continue forever and ever and ever. We see that in our own state, how things can grow arid and dry during certain times of the year, and then others, they abound in life. But when God is present, there is life always. And of course, as Jesus points to himself as the living waters in the New Testament, the sense of life is not just that things will be green and growing. The sense of life is that he provides satisfaction, that he quenches our thirst and our need, that he gives us life, life that is abundant, life that never goes away. This is the image of when God comes with us, is that just as right now we have seasons of desolation and seasons of consolation, there are no ups and downs, no, no times where things grow worse and then things get better. Things are just better. And sometimes I think that's hard for us to wrap our head around. We almost think of joy in, in too small of a way, where we can't imagine joy being sustained. We think that it has to go away for us to be able to appreciate it. But with the presence of God, it is a joy and a life that is everlasting, that does not fade, that is not diminished by its lasting forever, but that grows and, and that becomes more valuable, more precious because it is eternal, because it does not fade, because it does not go away. This is the joy that we hope for as we look and long for the coming Savior. Zechariah concludes the portion of scripture that we read by saying, And the Lord will become king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. 
there is a sense in which our understanding becomes complete in that moment as well. All that did not make sense in those days now begins to make sense. The Lord will be one and his name one is, is based on the Shema, that passage from Deuteronomy 6.4, where that was one of the foundational tenets of Israel, that behold, the, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. And there is a sense in which that passage that they have proclaimed over and over again, the things that they have proclaimed in faith because God told them to proclaim them, now becomes evident and known because he is there. There is a sense in which we hope and look and long for our Jesus, in which we know a little taste of him right now, but we also realize that we do not know him in his fullness. And what we are given in that day is the presence of the Lord as king over all, as king over us, as king over the world, as the one who has removed sin, who has destroyed all the enemies of God's people. And we know him in fullness, where the things that we proclaim now with some sort of partial understanding now make sense because we see him face to face. This is the longing that we have as we enter into this season of Advent, the longing to see our Lord and our Savior face to face and to know that in Him all will be well. All makes sense when we see Him. All joy is enduring. All hope is fulfilled. All faith is made reality. All love grows in abundance because we have the Lord, the King, with us. In this season of Advent, we look for the day when God's presence will be with his people forever and ever and ever. This is why Advent is a season of joy and hope. It is a season of joy and hope because the Lord is coming. And we proclaim that, we remember that as a people. The Lord, he's coming. And on that day, the hope that was given to us when he came as a little baby born to the Virgin Mary, where light broke into the darkness and we understood that we were not abandoned because God himself had come to us, because our salvation was sure, because he took our humanity upon himself. And we know that he has not abandoned his people. On that day when he comes again, that hope that we have in Christ will be brought to its fullness. It is a, as wondrous as Christmas and the birth of Christ is, it is still yet a foretaste of what is to come. The joy that we look back to prepares us for the greater joy ahead, where we shall see our Lord face to face and we shall know him forever. We cannot truly appreciate the miracle and the wonder that is our salvation at Christmas, that is our salvation in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, unless we also look with hope to the day of the Lord and his coming again. Until he comes again, we will still suffer from the effects of sin. But when we look at that day, And we look at it with hope, understanding that we can trust him to complete the work that he has begun. And we look to that day when Jesus the King shall set all things right. Then our suffering is transformed. 
from what can be a source of crushing despair, just wondering how the world can keep going on, and to a sense of hopeful longing, because we remember that when we suffer, it is a sign that the Lord is coming, that the day is not yet, but that it will draw near. Sin and sorrow have an end. And one day soon, we shall see the Lord face to face because the King is coming. Our waiting for that day is not just a passive thing. As we wait, part of what we do is we also prepare for His coming. This is why so much of that great litany looks at our internal state, at the sin that is still within us, at the need for us to be ready for the coming of the King. We want to be those who look forward to this day with gladness, not those who feel terror because the judge draws near. We want to look forward to His coming with hope and with joy. We want to be among the holy ones that were His retinue as He comes into to face the nations. And even in this, it's something that we, we strive for in a sense, but we also know that it's not something that we can do on our own. Our sin is not something that we can get rid of on our own. But the good news here is that as we proclaim this day of hope, as we remember the coming of Christ at Bethlehem, as we look forward to His coming as the risen King where He will judge the nations, we also remember that He is with us now. It's not just a a coming that is distant and far off that we have. We have the gift of His Spirit, the presence of Christ with us today, here, as we are gathered together, as we are looking and longing for that day. The consummation of our salvation is on a future day, but it has begun in you already. And it is because our salvation is secure and the day of the Lord is coming that we can pray along with Paul the benediction that he gave in that passage from that reading from 1 Thessalonians this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, as Paul is longing to come and see the people, the Thessalonian church face to face. He says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And then he says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Father, make us holy. Make us holy so we can hope, so we can have joy. And come, Lord Jesus. Come. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.